0: Greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. Today is a packed uh, and a long episode, so uh, hopefully you can uh, enjoy the entire thing or pick and choose what it is that you'd like to listen to, but uh, I've got a few announcements, some exciting things going on with some sponsorships for the future. I want to introduce uh, next week, we're going to be uh, starting the Jonathan Little Book Study, uh, I want to share a couple things that I've learned along the way, even though I won't get into too much depth, but people have been asking me, hey, what have you learned as part of the podcasting thing? So I want to share that. And then I've got a quick uh, interview with Chris Hansen, who's the host of Poker Night in America. And then I also have um, an interview with Jim Lavore, who's the tournament director at Running Aces, who just came back from the TDA uh, summit in Las Vegas, and so he's going to share some of the rule changes and some of those things uh, that do apply to uh, to, to players, and uh, also get into a few other things uh, related to being a TDA or a tournament director uh, at Running Aces. So, uh, to start off, uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, as you know, Running Aces is the official sponsor of the Rec Poker podcast, which is awesome, but we've just brought on three other partners. Uh, Because we're going to be reformatting and this uh, Like I said, we're going to be doing this book study over the next few weeks and then after that we're reformatting We're really going to get deep into strategy and we're going to hear from some of the best voices some of the most uh, uh, The most uh, forward-thinking advanced players uh, right now on specific strategy things So I think a lot of you are going to be super excited about that Uh, But as part of that we've taken on three other partners first of all a next level poker Uh, is a new tour uh, that's being worked on by Chris Fox-Wallace and Brian Soja. And they are the official tour of the Rec Poker podcast. So we're going to be partnering with them in a number of different ways, but including you're going to hear their voices uh, and some of their expertise when it comes to specific strategy things going forward. So that's super exciting. We're also partnering with the Poker is Fun Tour. This is a new tour launched by Mike Schneider, Schneids, as you know. Uh, and all of those guys, Fox, Brian Soja, and Mike Schneider, have been interviewed before on the Rec Poker podcast. So go back, hear what they have to say, and, and you'll realize pretty quickly how great this is that we're going to be in partnership with both Next Level Poker as well as the Poker is Fun Tour. And then we have also officially partnered with PokerCoaching.com. This is run by Jonathan Little, and Jonathan is also going to be a voice on the Rec Poker Podcast going forward. So, you're going to hear a lot of specific uh, advice and strategy information uh, from Jonathan Little. So, all of those voices uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more from on the Rec Poker Podcast, but we're still going to be also hearing from uh, other great players that we that we know that we have relationship with, as well as many recreational players. So you'll continue to hear uh, voices from across the board. But super excited about those sponsorships. And as I mentioned before, uh, next week we're going to be recording. Uh, we're going to be recording and playing um, a book discussion. Uh, several of us, about a dozen to fifteen of us, are getting together, and we are doing a book study on Jonathan Little's book. Uh, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 1. And so next week, we're going to be airing the first part of that discussion, uh, which we expect to be chapters 1 through 4. So if it's a book that you have or a book that you're interested in, I would recommend go out there, get the book, listen to it, uh, or listen to it on audio or read it. Um, uh, Think about that and then listen to the... uh, to the discussion, and I think you'll enjoy that, Uh, but I don't think you need to have read the book to enjoy the discussion. We're going to be talking a lot about some of the things that we agreed with that were new insights and some of the things that we're not so sure about, Uh, and I expect that to be a great conversation. So uh, that's what's coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, With that, we also have uh, audio from Jonathan on each of those sections, so we'll take the recreational discussion and we'll pair that with Jonathan's input, and it should be a pretty good uh, series of episodes going forward. As far as my own takeaways, um, at some point I want to spend some time really uh, digging into this and sharing some of the stuff with you, but uh, as a recreational player who has now had the opportunity to to have um, incredible conversations with some great players, uh, and a lot of the times I I have a chance to talk to them off the air as well, so from a Selfish perspective, I've gotten to know them uh, a little bit and also gotten some more insights. But let me take the chance just to, just to thank those who have done the on-air interviews. Um, obviously Mike Schneider, Chris Fox-Wallace, uh, Vlad Revniaga, Aaron Johnson, Mark Hodge, Steve Olson, Ku Vang, Jason Seitz, Matt Hamilton, Uh, John Redding, Joe Bernard, Brian Soja, Zach Elwood, Hunter Sitchi, Jonathan Kim. Uh, Thank you guys so much for doing the on-air interviews. And then thanks also to all the recreational players who have had voices on the air as well. Uh, It's just been fantastic. But from from all of those interviews, from all those discussions, I'd say there's a few key things that come out for me. One is uh, the idea of patience and uh, just really uh, waiting for good spots. And I think um, first of all, understanding what good spots are, and then uh, being patient and waiting for them. Uh, and that's been a key. Over the last uh, couple of months, I've had a lot of success on the felt, and I'd say that's probably the number one the number one uh, factor in that has been my patience and waiting for those good spots, and then not being afraid to take those spots, and sometimes they don't work out, but uh, being patient and aggressive, I would say has been a key to that. I would say also intentionally thinking about opening ranges, um, as I'm thinking about entering a pot, what are those what are those ranges that are sort of the defaults that I would go to for the position that I'm in and the table dynamics, and then adjusting those for the different players, the stack sizes, the turning situations. Uh, and I think being intentional about thinking about that rather than just looking at the cards and going, ooh, that seems good, uh, really uh, knowing before I look at the cards what ranges I'm going to get involved in this hand with um, has been really, really important to me. Uh, Bet sizing as well, I've been thinking a lot more as I put in bets, how do I, well, first of all, what am I trying to do with the bet? Am I trying to get people to fold? Am I trying to get people to call? Am I trying to, um, you know, uh, try to get them to re-raise me, Uh, trying to build a pot? What's actually happening here? And then what's the right size to do that? And then balancing what I'm trying to accomplish and maximizing value with minimizing risk. Uh, Can I accomplish the same thing I'm trying to do with less chips? Uh, or if I'm trying to get paid, what's the maximum that I can get that I can get this person to call with? So those sorts of uh, intentionalities around bet sizing have been really important for me. The idea of significant bluffing being very rare has been good for me. Uh, it seems like every tournament there's one or two times I'd really try to run a pretty significant, you know, bluff, maybe some kind of a three-barrel with with air, with with nothing, and realizing that that's just that should be a, a super rare situation. And trying to reduce that in my game. And I think that's helped me quite a bit as well. Uh, Just because the downside risk of running that is so much worse than the upside potential in most cases. So really just, if it's a great opportunity, I'll take it. But trying to take that out of my game a bit more. uh, Recognizing that I should be playing medium hands less aggressively. Um, So if I have, say, top pair... Um, even even just top pair with an ace kicker, but top pair you know okay kicker, top pair bad kicker, medium pair, some of those those medium hands, um, playing them less aggressively and even checking one or two streets for pot control, um, I think that's been good. Now obviously you get drawn out sometimes, but I think in the long run that's a better play and not uh, really going to war with a with a one pair or medium strength hand. I think it, it helps in pot control, but it also helps underrepresent your hand, and so. Uh, a lot of times, you know, checking the turn uh, with a medium strength hand sends a message of weakness to your opponent, and they often take a stab at it. And at which time, at which point you can just call, and you actually get more value than had you continued. So, in the situations when you're where you're beat, I think it actually controls the pot. In the situations where you're ahead, it often can get you more chips. But either way, I think it reduces variance in your game, and I think that's a good thing long term. Uh, at least my understanding. Um, another thing is, is playing my big hands more aggressively. Uh, and first of all, realizing that an overpair to the board is not a big hand, it's still one pair. Uh, it's a, a medium-strength hand. It's a good medium-strength hand, but it's still not a huge hand. But when I do have big hands, I've been trying to play more aggressively, more aggressively and that's actually helped me. Uh, flopping straights, flopping sets, flopping two-pair. Um, instead of trying to get all sneaky with those, um, typically just play it the same way I might play a bluff. Uh, And I tend to get paid off more. In fact, uh, I I was trying this, and and, uh, both times in the last tournament where I flopped a big hand and I just let out, I got re-raised. And so it's not always going to be the case, but um, it actually worked quite a bit for me. Plus, it reduces the risk of being drawn out on. Um, So that's something. Um, Also, uh, with, with weaker hands, just playing them more aggressively or just giving up. And just realizing that it, it's okay to fold, even if I have chips already invested. So, you know, let's say I, I raise and I hit a middle pair or bottom pair, and I continuation bet and they they call. At some point, it's okay just to give up on the hand. And in the past, I'd but be much more married to that, saying, "Well, I've got chips invested, I have to go." Uh, now there might be situations where you stay involved, but. Um, but it's okay to give up on on, on pots once in a while. At the end of the day, I want to make each decision uh, from a a correct expected value or expected utility perspective rather than saying, okay, my goal is to win this pot. I think you can get yourself in a lot of trouble trying to win the pot versus trying to make the right decision uh, along the way. And also, I mean, I know position is critical. I've, I've known that for quite some time. It's kind of the first thing I learned about Hold'em, and people keep talking about it. But the more I play, the more I talk to people, the more of my experience, I realize how critical it is. I mean, uh, in, in terms of being able to control the pot size, it's huge. Uh, to be able to win pots when nobody else hits is huge. Uh, to float people, to you know, put them to the test, to catch bluffs, uh, to, to build a pot when you want to build a pot. Uh, all of those things. So it's not just about the additional information that you get, it's also a, a number of other factors. So when you lose, you tend to lose less, and when you win, you tend to win more, is what I found in position. So uh, position, 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 and that to me is is a big part of uh, opening hand ranges, uh, feeding into that as well. And then uh, a couple other things, uh, have a plan, uh, one of the things I've been trying to do more of, it's still not natural, is before I do something, think through what am I going to do if. And the one area that, that I've improved on at least is looking at what if somebody shoves over the top of me. So even though I don't always have a plan that's more comprehensive than that, at least thinking about that. What if I get re-raised or shoved on? And that drives me to look at people's stacks before I take action and just know, if I put in 11,000 here and they shove for the 40,000 that they have, I'm gonna I'm willing to fold. Or, by, or conversely, if they have 25,000, just know if they shove, I'm gonna call. Um, just knowing that going in helps me decide what my action is going to be. So that's a big thing to think forward and continue to push myself to think forward in more and more ways. And the other thing that I, I wanna talk about more in detail at some other point is this idea of expected value versus utility theory. Uh, utility is really uh, about looking at the overall big picture. So expected value is a very mathematical um, thing where your, your upside is worth just as much as your downside. So you make a decision that just says, what's my expected value in this situation? Um, but if you think about utility theory is more like thinking about an ICM or uh, independent chip model sort of perspective where the curve is actually um, not linear. So if you're a mathematical person, think of a graph. And along the x-axis along the bottom is uh, how many chips you have. And it starts at zero and it goes all the way to infinity, I guess. And up the y-axis, up the up the vertical axis, is what's the value of that stack in the tournament? And so that's actually got a curve to it. So the it it uh, starting at zero, as you have more chips, those are uh, worth more and more, and then it sort of marginally decreases as you get higher and higher in the chip count. And so your your value curve is actually a uh, actually a curve. It's not linear. And so depending on where you are in the curve, that's why if if you have a ton of chips, if you're a massive chip leader, whether you win or lose the pot doesn't really matter to your overall value in the tournament. But if you have uh, very few chips and the options are either going busted or doubling, those are very different uh, results in terms of your value. And so you have to kind of know that. And so as you're thinking about your decisions, I think thinking about linear expected value I don't think is always a good a, a good thing to do in a tournament. And so I want to talk about that at some point. I've got some pretty cool insights, some pretty good initial examples, but just something that I've been thinking about quite a bit um, as not only ICM from a final table chop type of perspective, but throughout the stages of the tournaments, I think that utility of value is, is something that's very important to think about. So those are just a few of, of my things uh, that I've been thinking about. Thanks for listening. If you fast-forwarded through that, that's fine, too. But um, we'll get into some of those later. But uh, obviously, part of this is for myself to learn the game as much as I can. And, uh, and I've been doing that, and I've been having some success. And I, I thank a lot of the folks that have been involved in this podcast for helping uh, to make that happen. So that's it for that. Uh, reminder, again, next week, Jonathan, little book club starts. And now uh, what we're going to do is we're going to transition into, uh, I guess, a 15-, 20-minute interview or so that I had with Chris Hansen from Poker Night in America. And after that, you will hear from Jim Lavore, who is the tournament director at Running Aces. Thanks, everybody. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, Including earning two dollars per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit Runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, I am here. I am joined with Chris Hansen via Skype. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. No problem. It's great to be on finally. Yeah, I know we had to, we had to work our schedules back and forth, and we finally got a hold of you, and then. I had Skype issues, and so we finally landed the big fish.
1: Yeah, well, if, if I'm the big fish, you should keep on fishing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, we are a small podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep on fishing. We'll use you as bait, maybe. There you go. <laughs> so now you're joining us. Are you in Fargo right now?
1: Yeah, at home in Fargo, and uh, actually going to be on my way to the golf course here very soon. That's pretty much where you find me all summer long.
0: Nice and you were you were talking about uh, off air a little bit that there's the poker sort of has the the pre-world series and the post-world series right and-
1: Yeah that's exactly it I think a lot of people you know get uh, the the start of the year and a brand new year and uh, you know, a lot of great events happen before the World Series, and Then it seems like once the World Series starts, everything else kind of goes on pause for a moment because it, rightfully so, sucks all the air out of the room. Uh, <laughs> but now with a new world champion, and uh, now we kind of get into that uh, fall and winter season of uh, traveling with poker.
0: Yeah, now I know you from Poker Night in America. That's where I've seen you, and you're gracious enough to connect with me through Twitter but what? Tell me a little bit about more about uh, your your involvement in the poker world. Either as a player, as a commentator, or are you involved with the World Series at all? Give us a little bit of background on on your world of poker beyond just poker night in america and i know you do other things outside of the poker world too
1: yeah well as far as poker goes i started out like so many people did playing uh you know when i was younger and uh, playing through high school and then got into college and obviously you know in the years 2002 2003 kind of got into it and then 2004 with everybody else was all gung-ho and spent way too much money on trying to learn how to play the game the right way and uh, so my poker career it's funny Ever since I started doing poker television shows, my poker has gotten really good, and then it just absolutely fell off a cliff. <laughs> and uh, now uh, the the amount of poker I play is uh, it's it's pretty minimal, other than uh, you know when we travel for poker night in America. So as far as my poker career goes, I've got nothing on hand and mob. Uh, you know, I've got no huge scores, yeah. but uh, I, I'm definitely a, a lover of the game, and I'm a lover of the. Uh, more of the uh, kind of like the lifestyle that goes with the game and the different nuances of personalities with the game that's what I'm really into is getting to meet so many different people and just kind of seeing what makes them tick and uh, so as far as poker goes uh, you know nothing with the big winning scale but I've definitely been around a block uh, or two when it comes to the world of poker being in it now for almost 15
0: years into poker television and how much do you travel with poker night in america uh,
1: Poker Night in America does anywhere from eight to ten events per year, and so uh, I travel, you know, frequently with that. Um, there have been some events that, due to you know restrictions or you know, kind of just conflicts in schedule, that I have not been able to go to. But the thing is that when we're on site, there's really not all that much for myself to do other than to uh, you know just basically, like I said, get to know some of the players a little yeah. bit better. Um, you know, so my role on set during the actual filming would be very minimal that most of my work and then also the work of Joe Stapleton my co-host yeah. is all done uh, you know it's all done post uh in here in Fargo and in, in
0: post-production when well, he had kind of a fun world series it was fun to see him a little bit on the tv
1: yeah dude got all kinds of exposure <laughs> and got all kinds of you know I keep waiting for those phone calls that they need some help for for me to come out but I guess with Stapes there they had enough pretty faces
0: well I think so. you, I think you're just not quirky enough Either that, or
1: I am definitely not at the uh, level of a David Tuckman or a Stapes or any of the other uh, you know people who are obviously very good at playing poker. As I said, my role really isn't as uh, a person who's there, and it never really has been uh, to to offer you know astute poker uh, skill based commentary. I'm just more there for the you know to keep the game flowing, to kind of be the uh, you know MC for a show, and, and it really just. You know, kind of keep the action moving, and I think that that has been um, that—that's been my role in my
0: poker career. Yeah, and you do a great job of that. Seriously, like it, it's so Thank interesting. You. Uh, poker Night America, for those that don't watch it, I mean, check it out. It's kind of all over the place, and it's an interesting combination of, you know, I can really watch the hands, and I can watch, you know, what's being done there, and really get into some of the strategy of it. But at the same time, be entertained by what you guys are talking about. And so it's—I think there—it's it, interesting because I like the strategy more. But yet I'm entertained. But yet there's enough of the hand shown that I can actually sure. maybe get pick up some tips on that.
1: Well, the thing about Poker Night in America is, is that we when when it started, um, you know, when Todd Anderson, after both Todd and I left Heartland Poker Tour, that we were you know with that from the very beginning. Yeah. And after all that, uh, you know, that transpired of the sale of that uh, and moving on, uh, that we both said, you know, we let's kind of do something a little bit different and let, let's focus on some of that lifestyle stuff of the poker. Let's get to know some of these people a little bit better where really the avenues where you saw your favorite professional poker players and I'm talking about Helmuth and Antonio Sfondiari and you know all the biggest names you would see them in usually one of two capacities. You would see them either playing tournament poker, or you would see them playing very high-stakes cash game poker.
0: Yeah. And
1: and and that was uh, really about it, that you would see them, you know, grinding on the World Series on WPT, and then you would see them playing, you know, like, you know, nosebleed kind of stakes. So the, the, the Poker Night in America was born with the idea of let's play a dollar amount that is still, you know, there's some bragging rights to it, and there is some money to be won for some of the big pros, but at the same time playing at a level that, you know, for a lot of them that play – that uh, five to twenty thousand dollar buy-in. Let's be honest, it's not a lot of money to them, mm-hmm. but yet at the same time they want to always beat their peers. And so that's what Poker Night was born from: was let's get a cash game that isn't nosebleed, so they're not, you know, just absolutely grinding every decision that they're maybe willing to gamble and th- let their personality show. And then you know, starting to bring in other, you know, like uh, James Woods or uh, Jennifer yeah. Tilly or you know other uh, Br- Brad Garrett, having them on the show to provide some you know comedy. And, and and some good poker, too. But, you know, basically, basically just some more personality to the show.
0: When you see things like Brad Garrett buying in for all red chips and some of these, <laughs> some of these sort of crazy things. And, you know, one of the things I'm enjoying is the, uh, the Jennifer Tilly and Jason Mercier uh, battle and, you know, her just never able to call him when when he doesn't have it and calling him when he's got it and some of these exactly inter- yeah some of these interesting dynamics that emerge over time and i'm curious you know you talked about the personality you really do get to see the personality of even a guy like a sean d but you know who I i see him in a very different light than i would have otherwise but like who are some of the some of your favorite personalities that have emerged uh through the years of doing this
1: Uh, You know, probably one of the uh, the people that I remember meeting him for the first time. And I'm like, I always thought that you were kind of like nerdy, quirky, but yet at the same time, cool. And then you find out he's just a down to earth dude. And I I love him. And it's uh, Tom Schneider. Oh. Donkey yeah. Bomber. He's just such a great guy. And we've had a lot of conversation. And we both love golf. And so we played some golf on the road and he is a blast to be around. And then, you know, a guy like another personality is Gavin Smith. Gavin can be one of those guys that some people love him and mm-hmm. some people hate him. And, you know, whatever you think of him, the down, deep down, he's got a heart of gold. He's been a lot of fun to get uh Uh, get to know over the years and Sean himself I mean look that's the thing about this game man is that there are so many Great personalities that unfortunately you don't get to see a lot of it because, you know, they, like I said, they're either playing for their tournament life or they're playing for unreal high, you know, nosebleed type of buy ins. That it's been so great to get to know a lot of these players. But I'd say that uh, when I first met Donkey Bomber uh, (laughs) five, six years ago, that I always saw the loud jackets and the loud mouth stuff that he has on. And uh, I really like his personality, and he's so laid back and down to earth, and, and he's probably one of my better friends uh, from Poker
0: Night. And it's it's cool, you know, even doing on a really a much smaller scale. What I'm doing is Rec Poker. I get a chance to interview a lot of these players who you maybe just see them playing in the seriousness, and you get a chance to kind of peel that back a little bit and see some of the personality. And I think that's that can really be a, a big win as recreational players are trying to get into the game more as we're trying to recruit more people to play they see that these people have a personality and they're actually a lot of them are very down-to-earth people
1: for sure and, I, and i'm glad you brought that, that that fact up because that is one thing that you know as for a lot of people is that you know the, the the thing about poker was is that the good poker players don't feed off of each other the good right. poker players feed off of the bad poker players okay that's just the way it's always been But at this point in the game of poker, I think there are more good players than you could have ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And the problem is is that for a lot of people, that intimidation factor is bigger than ever, that they really – I mean, I've seen a lot of different instances with amateur players and people who are, you know, pros wherever you travel around the country. And it just does absolutely no good to scare that amateur recreational player away. And, you know, a lot of those people want to play for the fun of it. That's why I got started. That's why a lot of people got started into it. And some of that fun, I hate to say it, but I have seen across the country in some of my travels, some of that fun for a lot of people has started to dissipate. And that's too bad because a lot of those people are the ones who, you know, are, are driving the game they're the ones who are bringing fresh uh money right. fresh blood and fresh attitudes if they go home and say oh i had the worst time at the casino this guy was such an a-hole where we're playing one yeah. two no limit and, you know, and it's just I, I hate to see that but unfortunately i think you do see that more than most of us would like to care to admit
0: yeah i've got you know a big collection of people that are kind of like me that like to go to the casino that like to play home games and i'd say there's of that big group of people there's probably maybe 30 of them that Hardly ever, if ever, go to a casino. Primarily because of that, they went there once. They they made a play that was iffy. They got berated. and They're like, I don't just want to play for fun. I'm just going to play home games. And so there's, right. I think there's this huge audience of of people that would just take that next step to play the 30 or 50 tournament. And then if that goes well, they'd keep continuing up the ranks and ultimately be playing some of the bigger stuff. But but yeah, ultimately they're playing for fun, and it's not fun to go and nobody will talk. Or if you make a bad play, they'll make some comment. I mean that—that's a—it's so interesting because those are the people that you, the good players should want there, but they—they exactly. they, they push them away, and it's an interesting dynamic.
1: Like the old saying I always used to be, "Don't tap on the tank." <laughs> yeah. The worst thing. The worst thing you can do is to let the fish know that they are fish by tapping on their tank. Just leave them alone. Exactly. And I'm, I am one of those people. Don't do not think that I'm looking from the other end of it. I'm looking from the bottom up. And it ta- and I've spread plenty of money around to plenty of different <laughs> okay. people with my terrible play. But you know what? The last thing I need is for you to tell me how terrible
0: I am. Right. You should be it encouraging went. me. Exactly. You should be saying, right. wow, that was that's a, a gutsy play. I like that. You wow. Know? Gee whiz. Yeah. You know, well, maybe <laughs> next time. You Whopping know, the four high is a good play there.
1: Well, because as we know, that it, sometimes in that game, when you think that you're doing the right thing, which is the absolute wrong thing, Uh, With the turn of a couple of cards can turn into the right thing, and that just makes people go crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what keeps the bad players like myself in the game is that once in a while positive variants can hit, and we win a tournament, and and it keeps us coming back. Yep, I agree. Hey, so quick question. Uh, We were talking about personalities a little bit, and then I want to get into some of the other stuff. I know we don't have much time, but uh, I'm always curious about Phil Locke. Uh, You know, I watch him. Sometimes he seems insane. Sometimes he seems like probably one of the smartest guys in the world. Sometimes he seems really down to earth. What's what's the skinny on Phil?
1: I would take more of the angle of smartest guys on earth. He's yeah. one of those just uh, wildly brilliant people that I think that no matter what he might put his mind to, I think he could definitely do it. And he is, um, you know, a lot of that, you know, contacting the mothership and wearing the goggles (laughs) and, you know, the stuff that you see him do on Poker Night in America. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of method to that madness, but at the same time, there still is some madness that is going on in Phil. And and Phil and both Jennifer uh, Tilly have been huge supporters of Poker Night in America and have, you know, uh, done things for us and helped us out and been to so many events to help us get started. And uh, I would have uh, forever, especially Jennifer, the Jennifer, like, she's not the world-class player that Phil is, but she keeps coming back and yeah. back and back. And, and, you know, and that's the thing about this game is that you can love it and you can hate it so much at the same time. So Phil Locke is a great dude, and uh, like I said, there's there's some madness, but there's also some method to some of that madness.
0: Talk a little bit about other stuff that you do. Now, I wasn't even aware of this until I started researching you a little bit, which I know sounds creepy, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that you're actually involved uh, doing some some on air stuff. You got a little radio show. You're also doing some stuff with NDsu football. What yeah. what else do you do besides uh, the poker broadcasting?
1: Well, besides Poker Night in America for the past uh, sixteen years, I've been co host of Chris, John, and Jane in the Morning, which is a radio show here in Fargo that's on a country station. It's called Bob ninety five FM, and uh, this year, this fall, will actually be twenty years. That I've been involved with radio, which is hard to believe because wow. they don't normally give jobs to kids when they're nine years old. So I don't know <laughs>
2: right.
1: how I've already been in a state for 20 years. But so I do that every day on a, on a, a daily basis from 530 to 9 a.m. We're on the air. And then, uh, you know, weekend time is that's when we fly away for poker events. And then, you know, after I get, would get done doing a radio show, I uh, would leave, you know, that studio at 11 o'clock. And then meet the guys from Poker Night in America here in Fargo in our post-production studios. And we will, uh, you know, when Joe Stapleton comes to town, we will bang out eight to ten hours per day for two or three days in a row um, of, of, you know, producing Poker Night in America. So not only that on the radio, that I've also been involved, that I'm a big North Dakota State University Bison football fan. I uh, went to NDSU, I've been a fan since I was a little kid in uh, the last year, and now this year again, have an opportunity to be part of the pre and post game show with North Dakota State University uh, football. And uh, so being a part of that is, uh, I hate to say it, but it's, it's a dream come
0: true. Yeah. But it, it definitely is. Well, you keep, you keep picking winning programs. That's a pretty good program to be behind. And my <laughs> it wife, is. It's been pretty good the last five or six yeah. years. Really good. My brother went to NDSU, and my son was looking at it. It was one of his top top choices. He ended up going to the to University of Minnesota. But uh, on, we were up there on a campus tour, and holy cow, have they done some renovations. It's a just a gorgeous campus. If, if you guys are out there listening and you got kids thinking about school, I'd say go take a look at that. It's not what the NDSU remember from 25 years Brian. ago.
1: Well, and it was, I just read an article today that it was one of the top, that Fargo-Moorhead is one of the top 25 college towns in America, and it's because of the population, uh, the total population as to the student population. NDSU have 15,000 students, uh, Minnesota State University-Moorhead over across the river in Moorhead, I believe, has like 8,000 students, and Concordia has like 3,000 students. Yeah. So you start talking to them, you know, there's 34. 1,000-ish college students in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And so the, 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 the cities definitely do run on uh, the college kids that are here. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, and you can get a pretty good bison burger on campus, too, I found out. Yes, you can. <laughs> you go to uh, one of my favorite spots in town called
1: Herd and Horns right south of campus. Yeah. And you will, uh, you'll get some good grub. And, you know, obviously uh, Carson Wentz getting drafted last year by the Eagles yeah. uh, really put NDSU on the map after winning five national championships in a row. Uh, in the fcs level so there's a lot of great things that are happening in fargo and north dakota becoming known for its football as well as you know the fracking out west
0: right exactly hey so we only got a couple minutes left but i'd love to talk just really briefly if we can a little bit Mm -hmm. of of poker strategy in terms of uh you know most of the our listeners are recreational players playing a few times a month home games small turn small casino games Uh, we do have some listeners that play the bigger stuff too but I'm no. curious, you know, what you see on a day in and day out basis, your history playing poker, as far as what advice do you have for newer players, either in terms of uh, tools they should add to their game or things they should just stop doing? Well, you know, I,
1: I, I, I probably should have tried to coin this phase at one time, but uh, my, my, my total belief in poker for years and years and years is there's plenty of skills that you can learn within the game of poker. But basically what it boils down to is the game of poker is putting yourself in the best position to either a win or B get lucky. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, don't do things that, you know, are going to get you hypothetically into trouble. The classic things that, you know, I'm chasing a flush on a paired board. You know, those little type of things, the classic, you know, top ten rules, if you would. Don't commit those, those those rule violations. But put yourself in a position where, okay, the odds of me getting lucky here or hitting my outs or whatever you have, that to me is what the game of poker is all about, is that there's plenty of good players and there's plenty of ways for you to get good where you're playing statistically how you should be playing. But then you have to look at the flip side of that is – Get yourself in a good position to be lucky uh, because so much of that is, yeah, you're going to have to get lucky in the game of poker. Your skill will take you so, so far, but you've got to be in that right position to get lucky. And you know what? Sometimes uh, maybe that is your belief that a 10% or 15% position is a good enough position to get lucky, but why not try to make that a 25 or a 30% chance? To get lucky. So, to me, my philosophy when I play poker is I want to put myself in the best possible scenario to get lucky. And Mm, because the the, the skill will come, the skill, if you have it, is there. As long as you stay away from the major pitfalls, put yourself in good positions, and I think you'll definitely see uh, your poker game improve. I wish I could listen to myself on maybe some (laughs) of my own advice, but. Um, and and pay attention to what everyone else is doing is that you know sometimes you, you look around the table and see what people are doing. I'm not trying to say that you should mimic what people are doing at the table, but if there's somebody who's successful at the table and they're winning, they're probably winning for a reason. So pay attention to what they're doing. We get so wrapped up sometimes in poker and wins and losses that sometimes when, when we lose, we will look at somebody and think, how are they doing this? And you might have only seen a couple of hands they played. Well, they're probably pretty good players, you know, especially uh, if they can – anybody can accumulate chips, but the, the rubber really hits the road when you can start to hold on to your chips. Right. You know what I mean? So pay attention to the people around you. Uh, you know, Don't be afraid to ask people questions and you know get involved. If, if it's something you really you want to get into and you want to be a winning player, it doesn't happen just by going to the casino and not thinking about it. Becoming a winning player does take some work.
0: And I think that's so good. Uh, one of the one of the points that you made in there, sweet. Uh, one of the one of the points that you made in there, which I thought was really good, was go ahead and ask people. It's amazing how much people are willing to share, even good players, because we're all trying to grow the game, or a lot of us are. Like I've asked some of the top players, you know, on break or whatever. Boy, what would you have done there? And I think they're being honest, but they'll, they'll actually share with me some advice.
2: Well, and that's the thing is that you know that there are certain people that you know that. Poker has become, we've shut ourselves in so much that everyone's worried about, you know, an image or their headphones or, you know, not saying the wrong thing. But at the same time, there's so much information that we could share with each other that uh, I think a lot of people maybe are due to intimidation or by they don't want to be perceived as dumb if they, uh, you know, if if they start asking questions. But as soon as you get over that and you get into the realm of, well, how should I play that differently? And starting to analyze your own game, you're probably going to see some improvement.
0: Totally agree. All right, so I want to let yeah. you go, but just uh, kind of, yeah. If you have any parting words, that's great. Otherwise, you know, how can people connect with you through social media?
1: Yeah, if you uh, you want to check uh, check me
2: out on Twitter, it's the Chris Hanson with an O. At the Chris Hansen, and uh, that's probably the easiest way to catch up with me. And you know, I've been in uh, in the poker game a long time and met a lot of great people. I've even met a couple of terrible people. <laughs> but the thing is that, uh, and, and truly, the thing is that we are we are all people, and the sooner we we start being kinder and gentler to one another and supporting one another in a way that is constructive, man, I tell you what, we we will be a much better not only a game of poker but society in general. Is just start. You know what? Pe- treat people with the respect that you think you deserve.
0: Love it, man. If,
2: if you treat people with the respect, because everyone, you know, oh, you're disrespecting me, you're saying this. Treat people with the amount of respect that you think you deserve, you're in the clear, man.
0: Good stuff. Well, thanks for thanks for taking the time, Chris. I know we are kind of packing you between a few different things, but seriously, yeah, no, appreciate, appreciate your time and hope we can connect in the future.
2: Yeah, and, and check us out on Poker Night in America. It's Monday nights on CBS Sports Network. Uh, you can always see a couple of different episodes, uh, though usually one new and one rerun every week on CBS Sports Network uh, on Monday nights.
0: Love it. All right, thanks, Chris.
2: Yes, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on anytime.
0: All right, appreciate it.
2: You bet. Bye-bye.
0: Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24 7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, everybody, I am joined right now by tournament director at Running Aces, Jim Lavore. Jim, man, thanks for joining us. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad
3: to be here. Thanks, Steve.
0: Been excited to uh, obviously gotten to know you quite a bit uh, playing all all that I do at Running Aces and uh, know a little bit about uh, about who you are and what you got going on in your world and I have a ton of respect for you. So excited to finally get you on the program as uh, Running Aces is our official sponsor and uh, you had a big part in in making that happen. So thanks for that.
3: Yeah, I, I appreciate it too. It was uh, I was glad we could make it happen.
0: But one of the one of the cool things that's going on now that I thought would be a great opportunity to kind of give recreational players a behind the curtains look a little bit is you just came back from the TDA summit, and so we thought, hey, let's uh, let's get you on, and and you had some great thoughts on this, and get you on to kind of share what was your experience at the summit? Uh, were there any you know rule changes that were debated, or any new decisions that people should be aware of, and? Uh, how does that impact people specifically at running aces but maybe even around the country and so i'll just kind of turn it over to you and you can share whatever you want from the the summit and how it impacts folks at aces sure sure
3: um so it went from june 30th to july first uh it's held at the aria um first time actually setting foot in the aria i haven't been to vegas uh since uh 2008 before Mm. aces opened um a good friend of mine we went out there kind of as a last for hours it was a buddy's wedding but we went out there before we went into training class to become dealers at running aces so
0: oh okay my
3: last trip to vegas
0: your your Uh, good is your good friend phil Helmuth, is that who that is yeah no no okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh
3: so it was uh i didn't really know what to expect with the tda summit um Tristan and I didn't really talk about it much. And we took, the we took a late night flight out there. So I just ended up watching a movie on the way out there. We just kind of got up in the morning and went. And, uh, you know, I, I expected it to be a convention, like, like a convention is where you, you stuff a bunch of people in a room and they talk about stuff. But, uh, I was really impressed with, uh, how much respect the other TDs held for their positions. It wasn't, uh, it's not a point of vanity uh people are genuinely care about how poker tournaments are run and how how uh they can make them better how to keep things fair i mean the the interest of the game itself and fairness overall of the game is is such a huge element and common theme and uh i don't know maybe just being in that room it seemed amplified for me but it was really uh it was really interesting to be there i didn't i didn't expect it and it it was fairly inspiring Hmm, cool um, one of the things that opened that they opened with was that they weren't going to have uh, Matt Savage immediately and Jack Eppel. That you know we're not going to talk about last card off the deck, and which immediately a almost a ten minute conversation went on about last card off the deck.
0: Well, and what, what, what do you mean by that? As far as you know, when people's hand is live so, or dead, is that what you mean?
3: Yeah. So prior to the 2015 summit, it was first card off the deck. If you are not at your seat, which is defined by within an arm's reach of your seat, when the first card comes off the deck in the next hand, your hand is dead. And I don't know if it's true or not that it's called the Daniel Nagrano rule, but essentially uh, a lot of players lobbied to have it made as the last card off the deck because in massive events these guys sometimes are across the room they're signing autographs and whatnot and they just can't get back to their seat in time but there's it just opens the door to so many issues And i'm in the camp where it should be first card off the deck um get back to your seat in time it's not a big deal you know Mm -hmm. you pay your bills in time we you know, you stop for red lights. It's just one of those things, you know. It's first card off the deck. If you're not in your seat, be in your seat. Your hand's down. you know. Uh, that's how I feel about it. There's just too many things. You you can potentially see other players' hands while cards have already been out in play, uh, while walking up to the table. Uh, dealers could slow deal mm-hmm. in an effort to make sure that you get your hand. And uh, I just think it opens up the window window for several abuses. So, uh while not talking about it, a lot was said about it in a short <laughs> right. amount of
0: time. <laughs> so and, so the, uh, rules, the rules shifted in 2015 to be last card off the deck, and that's that's, right. that's where the yeah. rule remains?
3: And that's where it stayed, yeah. Okay. Yep. And it probably will, but what I thought was very interesting um, was there were several TDs that got their respective casinos to pass a house rule to where it is first card off the deck. Um, and as you know, casinos in almost every casino, house rules will supersede the TDA. Mm -hmm. So any casino can follow the TDA and adhere to the TDA, but the TDA will be superseded by any house rule if they're ever in conflict. Um, and so several TDs had their house pass a rule where it's first card off the deck. And I thought that was very interesting. And, uh, uh, I've already brought this up for discussion at running aces, um, the problem lies then if we make the switch are we the outlier in this whole community Mm -hmm. right and so i really don't know if it's that big of a deal it's more of a preference um and it it gives cause for a lot more i guess uh a lot more has to be watched and training has to be better i mean there's you have to make sure everybody's on that same page all the time it's not just a rule that's in place uh, right because it allows like i said it just allows for incongruity so um we'll see we'll see what comes of that i'm sure there's going to be some good discussions nowadays as back and forth about for or against it so mm-hmm. um and you know we have the option too of maybe doing it for dailies you know or uh, just not at all we'll see we'll see what comes of it right okay I, per- I personally love first card off the deck that's uh i don't know why that changed honestly yeah.
0: no it seems like it get tricky to get tricky too if you do some events with first card some with last card you know how does you know the communication with the dealers and the players and you know it seems like you don't want to be giving, right giving players even more reason to get upset about their misunderstanding of the rules than they they already for can sure. yeah for sure you know especially if they're coming in from out of town they right and
3: you know, a lot of professional players have read and understand the TDA. You know the, the TDA rules, so it's not. Do you want to create a point of conflict when they come in from out of town to see your casino for the first time, and you're like, "Well, guess what? We don't follow the TDA on that point." Yeah, yeah I, have so, a, I
0: have a question about that, Jim. Just to interject, um, so so I know it always says you know the TDA rules, and the house rules can supersede that. Um, for for just the average player like you know i've never gone online and looked up the tda rules it's something i wanted to do just out of curiosity but like mm-hmm. if if how would i know like which rules aces uh, has different from the tda rules is that something that's available on the website or live in person or like how, how do uh, i know which rules are not are different at aces
3: so at aces we basically follow the tda um I pretty much in for tournaments, it's basic. I mean, TDA basically dictates what we do. Okay. Um, cash play, there's some variants, uh, but even some of our cash play rules have been altered to mirror the TDA, um, like oversized chip betting, things like that. So it's pretty hard and fast, TDA. I, I really can't, off the top of my head, think of a single instance where cases varies
0: from the oh, okay. TDA. Okay, so if we look up the TDA uh, rules, if we're wondering about the nuances of the uh, yeah. of things, we can just go by TDA for the most part. Okay, For
3: sure, I mean, and that's how every assistant tournament director is trained in. Uh, they get their own copy of the TDA, they're expect- expected to read it all, know it all, um, and of course it doesn't cover everything. I mean, hence rule number one, which is It just gives TDs the discretion to make calls that fall into gray areas.
0: Okay. Um,
3: yep. But <clears throat> for the most part, and, and if you ever, I believe we have our poker rules posted over by the server station in the poker room. Okay. Um, if you ever wanted to read them. But TDA rules, uh, pokertda.com, you can go there and, and download a PDF of the latest version and one thing that the tda does which i think is cool is they redline any any changes from one summit to the next nice so you can see what's what what what's been done um speaking of that it was interesting to be a part of that so you start at the beginning and you work your way through everything gets discussed if there's any change uh, language change anything we basically gets voted on um and to be a part of that was interesting, you know, to have my vote count towards yeah. the current version of the TDA, I, it, was, uh, it was cool. It was cool, really cool to be a part of that. Um, so anything that you see red line is uh, a lot of changes. Some of the language has changed, uh, been updated. It's no longer all he, you'll see a lot of she or her oh, good. Yeah. throughout the whole book. So um, but yeah, a lot of the language changed was just to help make things a little more clear.
0: Okay, so what would so beyond the language changes, uh, were there any significant changes that that actually impact play this year? Or?
3: Um, one thing that I liked, uh, like Rule Twenty Nine, uh, the calling for the clock rule. Uh, it reads now, if a TD's judgment, if in a TD's judgment, reasonable reasonable time has passed, he or she may call the clock or approve a clock request by any player in the event. Um, and so, I mean, that's that's some language. Some of that language is um, a little older uh, for many player by any player in the event, which means that a player at another table can technically call the clock on another table. Hmm. Um, but now, the TDs themselves have the discretion to call the clock, and that's always kind of been an understood thing. Uh, and it's always, but it's always been an understood thing that if a TD ever calls the clock, they better have. a very legitimate reason to do so. Right. Um, It's not... It's never in a TD's interest to work for their own benefit. So if a TD goes and calls the clock and potentially puts a player's hand in jeopardy, they better have a very concrete reason for doing so. Yeah, okay. Um, But overwhelmingly, every tournament director at the Summit has been experiencing a newer it's not really a new trend but it's becoming more and more prevalent and that's stalling and slow play around the money bubble sure yep and in some instances you know like these poker stars events, they're they're massive uh, circuit events are massive wpt events they're massive and even some of our local events are pretty big uh you know respective to room size and whatnot right. so uh when these when people start stalling uh, it really damages other players ability to play uh, against the clock and against the blinds and so this is an effort to curb some of that and so another part of that is that um, the TDE the TDs may also adjust the time allowed to take other st- and take other steps to fit the game and stop persistent delays um, part of that is that, prior to reaching the bubble um, tds have the option now to go hand for hand okay. so if this if this becomes a problem because sometimes stalling will start 5 10 players before the bubble oh for
0: sure if you're you know a lot of your tournaments if you have like those big 280s with 6 day ones and you have you know you 90 to 100 people cash or whatever the number is and you know you've got 10 12 tables and you know if you have four big blinds you know you have every incentive to tank Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not really that way, but other people are, and it's hard to blame them. I mean, it honestly is, you know, but that they're incented in a sense to to tank, and it's so frustrating when you're trying to get hands in, but you kind of get it too.
3: It is, and I think it's just kind of a natural evolution of the game, and I don't, I don't blame a player doing that. I mean, money's at stake; they put right. their money in the game, and they they're trying to protect it, and so they're using something at their disposal. To try to do that, it's within
0: uh, within the rules of the game,
3: right? Yeah, right. You know, I mean, are you are you not acting when you're running a big three street bluff? No, you're still acting. You know, Yep. It's no different if you're tanking on you know a (laughs) a three five offsuit when action gets to you when you're on the bubble. It's just uh, it's part of the game, you know. But it uh, it has an overwhelming. Overwhelmingly negative effect on other right, players. right, and so um, while not being, while not pointing people out, there's we're given some latitude to kind of curb that, okay, which I think is important. Um, and the other thing is the clock is no longer one minute, it's 30 seconds, it's oh, okay, seconds plus a five second countdown, which is fantastic.
0: I think that's fantastic, too. I mean, by the time yeah. the clock gets called, it's been quite a while. And thirty seconds is still a fair amount of time,
3: for sure. And you'll see, uh, you know, I li- one thing I really liked about like the super high roller balls when I when they're yeah. on you is you'll see that as soon as the action's on you, it's you got a minute, you got a minute to decide. And if you need longer, you have X amount of tiles at your disposal, and you can cash them in for extra time. Uh, and I think that's a really creative way of doing it. It's just it's a hard way oh, to. Yeah. Um,
0: the administrative logistical side of it can be a nightmare. Absolutely, because you're you're you know invariably going to have one you know. they are the other benefit of just having a few different tables. If you get 10, 15 tables running, what are that? What are the odds that one of the clocks is not going to work? Right,
3: right. <laughs> or the dealer doesn't hit it. Or right. Or, well, however it works out, you know, yeah. it just okay. But yeah, that's it's a good. A little like. too difficult to manage, but it is an interesting take on the issue. Yeah, and it highlights that there is an issue. So I think uh, Rule Twenty Nine, you know, don't expect to see at least at Aces. Don't expect expect to see TDs calling the clock. But if you ever do, at least you know that it's within the, their discretion to do so. Um.
0: And I suppose with with that rule too, if you've got uh, if you've got a if you sense that a whole table is tanking on the bubble, that's where you're saying another table could actually call clock on on players on that table.
3: Right. Well, and as the rule, you know, when calling for clock, as it reads, any player in the event can call right.
0: clock. Right. So I, so if we all notice that, hey, the other table's playing half the hands, yeah, potentially we could call clock on a player on that other table. Yeah. Which yep. is in- interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah.
3: No, that, that And I've never actually seen that. Yeah. And most people probably aren't aware of that rule, but um, that is how it reads. So. Interesting. Okay. We'll see. I mean, as more people become familiar with the TDA, you're going to see these things happen more and more, and then uh, current rules will then probably get adjusted again, and that's the benefit of having the summit every two years is that uh, we can come back and say, this is what's working and this isn't, and maybe just redefine things more clear with language. You know, who knows? Yeah, okay. Uh, Another rule that... uh, Man, this was a heated discussion out there. Is rule number 57, non-standard and unclear betting. Uh, players use unofficial betting terms and gestures at their own risk. This may be interpreted to mean other than what the player intended, uh, which is interesting. You know, I, When you're trained in as a tournament director, um, you're constantly told that you're not there to measure intent. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's an important thing is when you're a player and you see the TD come over as that they shouldn't be guessing as to what an offending player might have might have wanted to do um, so uh, if a declared bet can reasonably have multiple meanings uh, it will be ruled based on the highest reasonable amount that is less than the pot size before the bet alright so okay. that's not entirely clear but the example they give no limit holdem blinds are 200 400 and there's 4900 in the pot yep player declares Four. I bet 5
0: they <laughs> five okay
3: yep uh, with no other clarifying information the bet is 500 if there is 5100 in the pot
0: hmm. and
3: the same occurrence happens the bet is 5000
0: okay and, yep
3: this is how rule 57 has now been adopted um, Savage has been, you know, for years, has been on Twitter saying that it's okay to make uh, calls based on the, reason, you know based on size of the pot. Um, I've never liked it. The rule the original rule was intended to, well, and here's what changed my mind towards this. Um, the original rule was intended to stop someone from betting five, Say they'll say five and then size up the table after what they their unclear bet and right. then decide what it should be but for being a TD for the last three plus years uh, mm-hmm. who has the director and what is assisted TD is every instance where this ruling has occurred it's been a recreational player right or somebody you know with less experience saying five throwing out a five thousand dollar chip, and then a seasoned player or a professional player saying, oh, no, that's 500. That's 500. Right. Yeah. Because they want to pay less to get to the Turner River, which is fair, but we're not, you know, originally the TDA, the TDA, and it still is, it's, it, it was never designed to penalize players. It's
0: mm-hmm.
3: Ultimately, the rules of poker are designed to protect players, you know, and, right? instill fairness in the game. So, in instances like that, where somebody says five, they throw out the 5K chip, clearly they meant to bet 5,000, and they get held to the minimum. I mean, there is, I, you know, I still see both sides of it. There is yeah. a learning curve. Be clear with your betting. You know, anytime you make an unclear bet, you're at the, the whim of, you know, it's out of your control at this point. The floor gets called over, and it's in the hands of the floor. And so, what you intended may or may not hold. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't like about this is that the example they give, you're such a small discrepancy in the size of the pot. So it's all related to the size of the chip that gets thrown out or the size of the bet, technically the five, the unclear bet. And never, and in fact, the, the gal sitting next to me at the convention uh, yelled out, "You want us to count the pot, you know?" Mm. And and I was saying the same thing to Tristan. I, I, you never want to give an indication of the pot size. Um. So coming over to to make a ruling like this, now we're going to have to eyeball the pot. Well, there could be chips underneath that we're not seeing. Right. Um, do we ask the dealer to recount action, which then again gives out the information of the pot? Um, we shouldn't will never and it aces. You're never going to see us count down a pot or break one down, and count it to make this ruling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really shouldn't be too big of a deal. Yeah, normally it won't be that close. But nobody ever says five and throws out a fifty thousand dollar chip. <laughs> <Right>. You know, <laughs> so it's going to always revolve around d- these particular denominations. Yeah, right. So pot size is going to be. within a a pretty well-defined range, Mm -hmm. right? So when we're going to come up and make these rulings, we should be able to eyeball them. But the training that I've put in for this is that you're never announcing the size of the pot. You're not going to give indications of the pot. When the hand is complete, you can then explain rule 57 of the TDA allows us to make that ruling based on the size of the pot. Right. Um, but when making the ruling we make the ruling and let action complete so that's how that's going to carry out but there was a lot of back and forth and I don't know if you saw Tristan's hashtags that started going out on Twitter of can you live with it no I Um, didn't (laughs) it was kind of funny but uh, that's how some of the voting actually occurred was can you live with this Mm -hmm. you know and until uh gosh i can't remember his name i believe he worked at commerce um but until he explained he said and he said you know when you make this ruling how does it always go down is it one guy running an angle shoot that the better it's never the better running the angle shot it's right it's always an inexperienced player and then a and then a seasoned player saying well nope, we have to hold him to the minimum so right right um I I don't hate the change. I just don't again this is another rule where it could be ambiguous, right? You know, there's now there's it opens the door to other circumstances occurring.
0: And the um, the, the the real I mean the you know that's where you guys have to say what's the law and how do you interpret that and what discretion do you have? I you know, the, just take this this chance to let players know, especially recreational players, just save all the headache and just announce what you're trying to do. Or be or be really clear you know if you have exact change fine but if you need to announce it just say the denomination you're not yeah. you know you're not saving that much time by saying five rather than five hundred or even five thousand it's, no, it's, it's, it's one or a, two, it's one or two syllables for sure <laughs> and it's it's never an efficiency
3: thing you know it's a it's a it's a it's a rec player that just finally got comfortable in his first big event and he you know, he might have a good hand, and he wants to bet five thousand. and He throws it out there with a the little authority and says five.
0: Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not even. It, to me, I'm not ripping on players for doing that. I'm just saying I've seen way too many players do exactly what you're talking about. They're trying to bet five thousand into an eight thousand chip pot. Somebody calls them on it they make it five hundred. They get six callers. Yeah, and, and then they lose. <laughs> you know, and I, I feel so bad for them. And yeah, I just think it, it was avoidable bullshit, but, but, but yeah. you know, clearly everybody at the table knew what they were trying to do, but they're you know, subjected to the to the T D A rule. So just, just as a rec yeah. player, just kinda always always, you know, make it easy on the dealer and the floor and do the best you can to just be clear on what you're
3: trying to do. Absolutely. And that's that's usually my final statement on any ruling that revolves black clarity is that just please make your betting clear. Yeah. You know, if you want to bet fourteen thousand, say fourteen thousand. Right. You know, uh, there's really if you state what your raise is, and I understand why some players don't want to say it because they feel they could give something there's away. A ver-
0: verbal tells, sure,
3: sure, fair enough. That's that's for real. So I'm not going to say that they have to say it, but if you're going to bet fourteen thousand, then put fourteen thousand out. Correct. Yeah. Right. Just think of, just take one more second to think about what you're actually doing. Make sure your bets are clear, and now your betting is always in your own hands and not at the whim of a tournament director or another player.
0: Right, right. Oh. And I, I'm always the guy at the table that's like, you yeah, know, come on, we all know what he's trying to do. There's no more action, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, the rule's the rule. But, um, you know, you just kind of want to – everybody knows it's so obvious what they were trying to do. But right. the rule is the rule, you know. Yeah. So what, else you, what know, else you got? What other changes are under underway?
3: Well, the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, recommended procedure number 8 or RP-8. Um, and this revolves hand-for-hand procedures. Uh, so when you reach the bubble, uh, you know, you you get to the point where we're, we're going to go hand-for-hand, finish up the hands you're on, we're going to go hand-for-hand now. Um, and... The, one of the examples they give is that uh, they want this to be consistent. If say you're playing, you're paying out 50 spots, and uh, on the last hand before going hand for hand, you lose three people. Right. Uh, let me make this a little more clear. You're paying out 50 spots. Uh, there's there's three 53 people left in the tournament, and you lose three people on that hand. Uh those three people are eligible for to split 50th place.
0: If okay. that makes sense.
3: Yep. Um, say you're on the bubble and you're paying 50 spots and there's 51 players and three of them go out, then they will split uh, 50th and 49th. Does that
0: make sense? Yeah, and this so this is kind of a situation that I was just in. I just hey, just a quick shout out. I played your Omaha tournament the other night for the first time. I've never played Omaha before, not okay. even not PLO. even once or PLO. Yeah, I played PLO. Uh, I cashed in it, which was sweet, obviously. Um, but the, the, <laughs> maybe this is where the question came up because we were on the bubble, uh, we we're paying four, and there's five of us left, and uh, the fifth place guy, um, the, the short stack shoved in, and then I had a decision to make. Because there's somebody else still in the pot, and I, you know, and I ask because I say, well, okay, hypothetically, what happens if we both bust right here, you know? So that was that was one of the questions. That's maybe what you're getting at is, is you know, would we would we you know split fourth place money or would it be based on who had the most chips at the time of busting? Is that the situation that you're talking about? Yes. Kind of. The, okay. But yes, but I I a yeah. <laughs> yes, but coming. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's kind of the thought, right? There, there's one unpaid position and two people bust, or is that somehow different than the example you had with fifty?
3: The busting player. Let me let me just read this. Okay. <laughs> if enough players, if enough players bust on the current hand to break into the money, the busting players will be eligible for a share of the places paid. So place or places, yeah. paid on the current hand. So that indicates that. Yep. It could go deeper than just last place. right? right. So,
0: yeah, it that it, that does look like it. Um, so it would have happened there. If we both busted there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter how many chips we each had. We would have split yeah, fourth place I think money.
3: Here's, I think here's the difference, though, is that I think it has to be a multi-table bubble. Oh. Um, because oh, okay. any time... Anytime it's a single table, you can observe everything. You're not going hand for
0: hand, right? Every 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 hand is hand for hand, right?
3: Every hand is hand for hand, and I don't know if that's, uh, if that's okay. a maker or not. But when you're not going hand for hand, place you know placement is determined by stack size.
0: Okay, okay,
3: right. So that's how that's normally done. Um, I guess oh. that does give this a little gray area
0: so the rule the rule though is you're interpreting is really for the where there's more than one table you know on the bubble which is most tournament situations right then then it doesn't matter the chip stacks so you just chop up whatever payout money is paid out i yeah, yeah. that makes sense That's to me how i'm
3: interpreting this is it has to be a multi-table and oh, okay hand. okay you know what i in just in all fairness i will uh I will send some emails out tomorrow and see if I can't get some clarification on that. But I'm pretty sure that's the intent of this rule. Okay.
0: yeah so. oh, that's cool. All right. Yeah, I think um, that, that's important to know as people are on the bubble. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. That's a that's a super I mean, that's a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Big difference. Yeah. And that,
0: that's a rule change you're saying. So Um or is that just a clarification of that rule? I think that's a clarification of that okay. rule, but it
3: is it is redlined, so I'm assuming that there is at least some be, wording. Yeah. Uh, And also, they're recommending uh, a two-minute clock runoff. So when you have big events, um, it can take... Oh, yeah. ...where from a minute to five minutes to finish a single hand. Um, And so this also applies back to stalling and slow play. Uh, But the two-minute runoff can... Sort of alleviate all of those
0: pains. I like that we um, were. I played the uh, the daily deep stack out in Vegas, the two thirty five, where we had like thirteen hundred entrants, and so by the time we got the money, you know, they paid the top fifteen percent. So it was like one hundred and eighty players, so we had eighteen tables, right, uh, on the bubble, and literally we, you know, it took like I think four hands to to have the bubble break, and it was like a level and a half, right. It was right. like forty minutes or something crazy, right? Yeah. So so yeah, in, in this case. Oh, sorry. So in this case, they would just say, okay, you played four hands. We'll run off eight minutes, basically.
3: Sure. Uh, What they would like you to do is to do it each hand, not batches. Sure. You could count, oh, we we did ten hands, and then we take... Because what they want is, if you do go through into the next blinds, they want you to start playing at the new blind level. Right. The two-minute runoff. So they don't want to play it all at the same level and then take... Twenty minutes off if you played ten hands, right. and ended up And now you're starting in the in the middle of the next level when you should have already been in the next so level. So you
0: just run the clock, and once two minutes have passed, then you pause it for the rest of that hand. So you pause the clock. Yep. You run the
3: hand as soon as the hand's over. You take two minutes off.
0: Yep. Yep.
3: And so the clock is never running. It's just okay. Two minutes come on and off, or just come off after every hand.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. All right, I like that. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I do
3: too. But there is. There is some some wiggle or some discrepancies that I do have with it, and in t- in low in daily tournaments because you rarely have a multi table bubble. Uh, like even in our free rolls, we'll have three table bubbles. Right, and a lot of times those are fairly shorthanded. See,
0: oh, so um, it's, a, it's a two minute day. required. Is it a two minute required runoff? So yeah, it's it's, oh. it's a two
3: minute runoff, right. So.
0: I figured it'd be like two yeah. minutes, two minutes or less. Like if it took less time, you wouldn't, you'd just take no, less. No, it's but. just
3: two minutes. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so several big rooms and, and big tours uh, and tournaments—they've been doing this and, and with great success. And I can see why, especially when you have massive bubbles like what you just ex- explained. Right. You have eighteen, twenty, twenty-two tables for the bubble. Right. Um, even ten tables can be a big bubble. You know. For and sure. Tables could eat up a ton of time because every table is going to play a hand out differently. Um, but on our daily events, you know, a lot of times the bubble is two tables and it's 11 handed total. You know, you got five on one table and six on the right, other.
0: right?
3: And hands last 30 seconds. Everybody folds next hand. Right. And so you could literally run off two levels in the yeah. course of 15 or 20 hands. And depending on the tournament and it's it's rather unfair to the players so what is what i've recommended and what's probably going to happen is that we are going to apply the two minute runoff to events that are multi-day events so any of our main events that occur month to month right like a 280 signature series or the when the MSPT comes um and then for our daily events limit it to when we have bubbles that are four tables or
0: more yeah I think that's where I think that's right yeah okay
3: so if you have a three table bubble um, just let the clock run because you're gonna have you know say you've got seven players at each table and you got you're paying out 20 um, it just makes sense that you're not taking that two minutes when each hand is only lasting 30 seconds 45 seconds right just not fair to the players
0: so okay yeah that makes sense i, I can see some sort of a limit on you know number of tables before that's the rule applies yeah yeah i kind of so like that, the, that'll the,
3: get that'll get written up and explained okay um, somehow i i intend on publishing these three specific points on facebook twitter and the website and then with along with how running aces will approach each one of those situations. Yeah, fantastic. So, and that was kind of the point of, of coming on here with you too, is just to kind of give a heads up to the local community so they can know what to expect. And, you know, some people don't, may not always, uh, most people, I never followed the TDA until I was actually a tournament director. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I always relied on my TD to tell me what's going on.
0: Well, man, I appreciate the update though this is this is good. It's helpful to kind of see behind the curtain a little bit and know some of the things that you guys are wrestling with. And I know uh, you know players can get frustrated or whatever, but but I think it helps to kind of to see the issues. and for a lot of them, there there are two sides to the issue, and I think that's where we as players need to give you know grace to the dealers, grace to the floors, you know, recognizing that we're putting you guys in a tough spot, you're you're being asked to to judge in a situation where you can actually see two sides of it and ultimately you have to make a decision and that's not a great spot to be in so i mean appreciate what you're doing appreciate the the energy and the passion around trying to make it the best experience for all of us i uh, really do appreciate that and i think we can we can do a better job of of honoring you guys in that role i think uh... One, so one one question while i have you though jim all right before you go yeah. I've, I've got the one question that i always get confused <laughs> on it's the only thing that I kind of keep running into, and I know there's a difference between cash and tournaments, but as you know, I don't play cash at all. it's the the it's the what what qualifies as a as a raise where the action can be reopened? is it is it half of a bet or is it a full bet? You know what I mean? I, like like say like say the blinds are two hundred four hundred, somebody goes to twelve hundred so they raised by eight hundred. And then somebody goes all in for, you know, nineteen hundred. So they go in for seven hundred more. Right. And it gets back around to the original person who raised to twelve hundred. Can they re- can they re-raise or is that can they only? No. They cannot. So it's got to be a full bet in tournaments. So in
3: no limit specifically, okay. Oh, okay. no limit okay. tournament, tournament or cash. So this does not include spread limit or any limit poker. Uh, in no limit, the bet must be a full bet to reopen action.
0: Oh, okay. So that's the same for cash and tournaments. Yes. Okay. I think all all the players have different understandings. Like around the table, you hear everybody saying, "Well, oh, I think it's this. I think it's this." And okay, I just So
3: I, where the confusion comes. And you got to remember, Minnesota is largely a limit poker state because of our bet caps. So, uh, you know, most the Primarily, people in Minnesota that are playing cash
0: are playing limit poker. Oh, so that's what you're saying. And so the difference is not really it's not cash versus tournament. It's the fact that no cash is limit, it, and the tournaments are no limit versus no limit. Oh, so in okay. limit
3: poker, yeah, half of a bet is considered a bet. Okay, right. So if you're playing four or eight hold'em, and it's uh, the blind, you know, it's two and four, and somebody's uh, all in for six, that's a bet. Somebody can make it eight. You know, okay. Or Say you're on the turn and it's you guys are you're you're uh what did I say we're playing a 2 4 game yeah playing a 4 8 game it's not all the bettings in eight dollar increments and the guy opens he's all in for six another guy can can raise that that six dollars is considered a bet
0: okay okay
3: right he if he's all in for four it's considered a bet and so somebody can make a raise uh and if the raise would be 12 yep but you know they they can't complete and then raise um, there are certain rooms that allow that but that's
0: so that's not, good to know now so as, as I because it seems like every tournament I encounter this and players are always confused you know I can be an ambassador for for that so the I think a lot of players are thinking so which is what I absorb then it's the different between cash and tournament but that really has nothing to do with it it's just the fact that cash is limit and tournament no limit basically in Minnesota so in uh, anything, no limit. It's got to be a full bet. I like that's it. That's correct. I like it. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I you know, since I had the man on Skype, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can't man. pass up this opportunity to say, all right, here's the one that I keep getting confused on. Help me <laughs> no, out, brother. fair so, because I get I get called over for that one all the time. I'm sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah. All the time.
0: Well, anything else you want to share with the uh, the rec poker folks before we uh, let you go?
3: No, that's about it. You know, I I sent out a tweet. Over the week, on saying I was binging on rec poker podcasts, and <laughs> yeah. I really was. Uh, and it's you know after becoming a TD, you know, being the tournament manager at Aces for the last two years, um, I'm really burnt out on poker.
0: Yeah, you
3: know, I mean, it's such a big part of my life now, and and I never I never play. You know, I've got a a Sunday night game in my garage sometimes when we're not all too busy, but. Uh, I, and I don't even really have the heart for it, you know, I, I I have read so many books and I was working on my game and yeah. back before Black Friday, you know, I had built my first role on Poker Stars and, you know, everything was kind of, was really working on poker, you know, and uh, so when I hear people talk about strategy now, I'm just like, oh gosh, poker, and I just want to <laughs> run, and, and <laughs> it was so difficult, but I just got a new uh, Apple TV, and I was looking at the podcast thing, and I see on you know, Brian Soja, he's my best friend, yeah, one of my best friends, and uh, so I'm like, well, I got to listen to Soja's podcast on Rick Poker's interview on Rick Poker. So I, I started with his, and I moved to Fox, and then Schneid's, and and I just kind of kept going, I'd, and it made me like poker again Uh-oh. like i wonder why why i was why i started playing in the first place you know and it was really interesting uh i really thought the stuff that you were asking fox and the answers he was giving were were really interesting yeah. uh it just it, and it's not it's not stuff we all haven't heard before but it it just something about hearing it again from from fox and on the show i just uh it kind of sparked something so
0: oh man that's awesome
3: yeah that no, was cool and i i really i'm i'm glad to be a part of rec program i'm glad we got this put through with aces and that you can keep this going it's uh i think you're really doing a good thing so
0: well thanks you know i'm obviously i'm just doing it i'm not professional i don't really know what i'm doing but uh (laughs) it's it's a cool opportunity to talk to a lot of really good players a lot of really good people and i think you know as you and i have talked and uh we got some really cool things coming up you know in the next few weeks we're doing this jonathan little book club and then after that uh, I think we're. Really, I think people are really going to like the the formatting change that we're going to do, and really focus on specific things, and kind of on a consistent basis here from the folks like Fox and Soja and Jonathan Little and KuVang and Aaron Johnson and you know all of these all these guys, Mike Schneider, on a regular basis, and really digging deep to some strategy things, because I think uh, what people have really enjoyed so far is it's kind of been a get to know you. You know, you hear some of the strategy, yeah. some of the ways people think generally about the game, and that's good. And I think people have liked to kind of feel like they got to know these folks. Uh, but now as we go forward, starting to really get into some things that I think are really going to help people improve their game uh, and take it to the next level, I think is it's going to be a really uh, kind of a cool formatting change.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm I'm a firm believer in change. So yeah, anytime, I mean, it, you never really want to rest on your laurels. And I, I think you've done a – I really think you've done a great job. And part of that's just your – your obvious uh childlike love of the game
0: (laughs) it is childlike Uh, i love the game i really do yeah
3: i so it's so obvious and and it's really kind of contagious you know because it's not you're not out trying to hustle anybody you're just here to try to play a really cool strategy game and and learn as much as you can and and you're such a genuine guy so i mean you really become a good ambassador for the for the poker community here in minnesota
0: well that means a lot i i appreciate that yeah that's it's i you know it's you only have so many hours in the day, and, you know, for me, this is my hobby. I I don't fish like I used to fish, and so now this has become my hobby. And, you know, why do something you don't really enjoy? And and I, I do love it, and hopefully I will for years to come. And yeah. Hanging out with folks like you at a places like Aces certainly helps. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right, bud. Well, we'll let you go, and uh, thanks for all your time. We I, Yeah, I, no, thank I, I, you for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have you on again in the future.
3: All right, Steve, thanks. Yep.
0: Well, thank you, Jim LaVore. Thank you, Chris Hansen. Thanks to all of you listeners of the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, Just delighted to be doing this. This is just super fun for me, so thanks for that. Next week, we're going to be starting our Jonathan Little Book Club Book Study. I think you're going to enjoy those conversations as well. And then going forward, we're going to be doing our formatting change with uh, some, some deeper dive into some strategy things with great input from our sponsors, including Running Aces, Next Level Poker, the Poker is Fun Tour, and PokerCoaching.com with Jonathan Little, uh, Chris Fox-Wallace, Mike Schneider, Brian Soja, and a bunch of others too. So uh, with that, uh, follow us on Twitter, at RecPoker, join the Facebook group, RecPoker, uh, or email me directly, SteveFredland, at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, input, ideas, whatever it might be, uh, we're here, we're open, and uh, we're, we're happy to be in conversation with you. Uh, One other quick thing, a reminder, All In For Africa, coming up October 28th at Running Aces, it's going to be a great time. If you want to get involved there, either donating a prize, playing as a bounty, uh, or just showing up and playing, man, we'd love to have you get in touch. Uh, We do have a Facebook event, All In For Africa 7, that has all of the details, or again, reach out to me. All right. Thanks much. Take care.